I'm going to be reading to you in a moment from uh, Luke chapter 2. And uh, this gives me the opportunity to uh, let you know if you're visiting with us this evening, uh, we have a gift available for you at uh, the front door. And that is uh, a copy of the English Standard Version. It's a paperback version. And we would uh, uh, be delighted if you would like to take one of those with you. Uh, just go out that door and they will be available following uh, the service. And of course, there's information about the church elsewhere um, if you would uh, be interested in that. In Luke chapter 2, we read this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, we would ask you that in these few moments you would calm our hearts. There's so much activity leading up to uh, tonight and following. We pray that you would help us just to uh, spend these moments and hear a word from your word. And so open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it, uh, it's, it sent a chill down my back and caused me to um, shiver a little bit, not the weather. But it had to be the news and the reality that had set in that it was evident that the day had finally come. It was a day, basically, that I have avoided throughout my entire life, year after year, but it became evident that this year, Christmas 2015, I would be going to see the ballet A Nutcracker Suite. It happened last Sunday evening. I asked Connie, because I had never been, will I be the only guy there? And she said no. And, uh, and technically she was right. <laughs> <laughs> but
But let me just say that uh, there, there was no waiting to get to the men's room uh, in, the, in the Koger Center. Um, and as we, uh, you know, as I did pass by the, the guys that were there, the occasional guy, and pass by, if we'd catch each other's eye, it was, it was like, you know, we gave each other that knowing look. Yeah, I got you, brother. I get it, you know. <laughs> I understand. What would cause me all of the sudden to do that after avoiding it for so long? One word. Granddaughters. <laughs> I would do anything for them. And because of them, it was a joyful night. I loved every minute of it, especially watching them and watching the, the excitement in their voices and on their faces. Uh, it turned out to be a great night. Uh, Connie was babysitting our 18-month-old granddaughter, so I took my sister, our daughter Abby, and two granddaughters. However, I will say this. If you ask me about the story of the Nutcracker Suite, all I can say is I'm, I was a bit confused when I left, okay? It started out, and this is for you guys who have still not gone, okay? It started out, and there was a family scene, and there was dancing all over the place. And then it turned suddenly into a different scene, and there were these large rats, and I'm thinking they left and went to Chuck E. Cheese, but I don't see, <laughs> I don't see any pizza here, so... And then the next scene, the snow came down, and then the curtain came down, and people applauded. And I said to myself, you know, that wasn't that bad. But it was only halftime, I realized. <laughs> so I was confused about the story. I thought, to myself because we're always trying to think how we can do things better here. Uh, you know, if they had a narrator, somebody to tell you what was going on, I think I would have been able to follow it and, and so on a lot better. It occurred to me that tonight some of you might find yourself in a similar dilemma as I did as a non-ballet goer. Maybe church isn't your custom. Maybe you, like I was, maybe you're here out of love for somebody. And if you are, I get it. And I commend you for that. That's a good thing. But what I don't want to happen is what happened to me after the nutcracker. I don't want you to leave here later and think to yourself, what in the world was that all about? What's the big deal on Christmas Eve? And why are churches making a big deal out of it? So in the next few minutes, I just want to explain just what Christmas is from a 
a biblical perspective. Very briefly, this year our uh, dessert theater, we presented Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And uh, if you remember in A Christmas Carol, because most people know that story, you have Ebenezer Scrooge, who has a, a, a famous statement about Christmas and all things good, which is, I can't believe on Christmas Eve you all just shouted, Bah humbug. <laughs> but that's right, Bah humbug. And then we, we move through that, and the climax, in my opinion, of the play or the movie is Tiny Tim saying, God bless us, everyone. And to me, that, that capsulizes the continuum from the bah humbug to the, the God bless us, everyone. So where are you on the continuum? <laughs> where do you find yourself? If you're like most people, and I, I, I think I would include myself in this, uh, you know, I'm somewhere in between and some, some things move me toward the Bah Humbug during Christmas and some things the other way. I would suggest that a right view of Christmas will lead us away from the Bah Humbug end of the continuum and move us toward the end of God's blessing. So, so what is it, really, Christmas about. I would propose to you that Christmas is about personal and ultimate peace. I read this to you earlier. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So when we, we talk about this peace, uh, the New Testament was, which that passage is from, was written in Greek, and there is a word for peace. And in the Old Testament, there is an equivalent word that you would use for peace, and that word, it would have been a Hebrew word, is shalom. But shalom actually entails a bigger picture than maybe we think about. Shalom is, is not simply the absence of war. The longing for God's shalom includes not only inner and, and spiritual peace, but it, it meant wholeness, completeness, even with all creation. Shalom meant the end of injustice. It's when the rich no longer oppress the poor. It's when all brokenness would be set right and healed. It meant that people would love one another. And that's why there was such a great longing for shalom among God's people. So, let me give you three aspects of it. Where it came from, the shalom to come, and personal shalom. Where do we first see Shalom. Well, basically it's in the garden. 
In the garden you have a husband and wife in perfect unity. You have a man and woman in unity with all of creation, with the animals and the plants and the environment and all of that. But most importantly, they have a perfect communion with their Creator, God. And then it's broken. Now our purpose here is not to talk about how all that happened, but basically the the Bible tells us when sin came into the world, it was a tipping point. Everything changed at that point. And so relationships became a challenge. We were no longer in unity with the animals and the plants and the environment and so on. And there was a rift between God and His creation. One that only He could address. So the shalom that Adam and Eve knew was lost. But there is a shalom to come. Man went on a a quest for shalom, and we read about that throughout the Old Testament. You have, have the judges. Men wanted justice and just things to take place. And so they, they had their judges, but the judges failed massively. Men wanted leadership. And so they had kings. And those kings failed again and again. They wanted some kind of a, a, a unity with their God again, a communion with God. And so the priests that represented them were there. And yet the very best that they could offer was a shadow of what was to come. All the while, during that time, the prophets speaking for God proclaimed, you were created for something better than this. And I'm going to bring it about. That promise was made in various ways at various times. Now, at that time, the strong was bullying the weak. The rich were taking advantage of the poor. The world was at war. But there were better days to come, and God said He would make them better. He would restore this shalom. And then He came. Then Jesus came. And by coming into our world, by taking on flesh, by Himself suffering, He showed the world and His creation that He remembered and he understands. By the way, this makes Christianity absolutely unique among all other world religions. Other world religions say for God to become man and certainly for, for God to suffer is blasphemy. 
it's either true or it is blasphemy. But that's at the core of Christianity. It's the centerpiece that God became flesh. And so when Jesus came, instead of an unrighteous judge, he would judge the world with perfect righteousness. Instead of a flawed king, he would be the better king. And instead of a priest that could only give a shadow of what was to come, he himself was that great high priest that offered such a perfectly infinite sacrifice that no other sacrifice ever had to be made again. That's the work of Christ. When Jesus came, some of the shalom was returned when he came and walked the earth. But it will be completely restored when he comes again and creates a new heaven and new earth. Then, justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Then, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the old order of things will have passed away. But that leaves us with the question, is that it? All we have now is to be able to look forward to something somewhere off in the future. That's our only hope. We're in a day when the New York papers declare God is not fixing this. But the response is, but he will. He will fix this. In the meantime, there is a shalom available in the midst of this chaotic world. The competition for the artists was for them to paint a picture that, that just had one word as its title, peace. Most of the artists in the competition painted some kind of a pastoral scene, a calm lake, a deer in a field, a beautiful forest except for one artist. From a distance, if you saw his picture, you saw a, a, a mountain that was bare on top with a torrential waterfall coming down over big boulders down those rocks. And you would think, why is that peace? Until you look closer and you could see behind the waterfall was a bird in her nest with the baby birds sitting calmly. Peace in this world is not the absence of challenge. It is shalom in the midst of turmoil and trials. And that can only come when we have peace with God. Trusting Christ alone for our eternal life. 
It's not about our works. We cannot work our way to God. And so God came to us in Christ. Our works will always come short. But the work of Christ is enough. That's why in Charleston, relatives of the Charleston Nine could walk into that courtroom and look the murderer of their loved ones in the eye and forgive them. That's why those who are being tortured by ISIS can say, you can kill my body, but you cannot touch my soul and will not deny Christ. And that's why every year I see real people just like you all here in this room facing difficult and sometimes horrible things in their life and facing it with grace and peace. It is impossible to explain outside of the work of Jesus Christ. There is a shalom that only those in Christ will ever know. So this is what Christmas means. To take the definition from our, our world will give us materialism and, and cynicism and lead us toward bah humbug. But to see the real meaning of Christmas, peace with God through trusting in Jesus Christ will lead us to God's blessing. Let's bow together. And so, Lord, will you cause all of us, every single one of us, to, tonight and, and tomorrow on Christmas Day to look deep into our hearts and souls to seek shalom with you and with our world by a relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you for that wonderful gift, and that is what we celebrate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is our custom here at St. Andrews to conclude this service with a time of candle lighting and caroling. So in a moment, uh, I'll invite you to stand, and the organ will lead us through the first verses of some familiar carols. The ushers will take the first light off of the center candle of our wreath, uh, the Christ candle, signifying Christ as the light of the world. And even as we... Uh, are then in turn the lights of the world. Christ has entrusted the gospel and the good news to his followers. We will pass the light throughout the building uh, even as the gospel is passed from one life and one heart to another as Christ has, uses us as his ambassadors to save sinners. 
And uh, the conclusion of our carols, our pastor will uh, briefly lead us in a, a time of devotion followed by a benediction when we'll extinguish the candles together. So gentlemen, if you'll come forward, and I invite you to stand and to join in singing some carols.
beginning, it was all dark. There was no light. And then God created light. He said, simply let there be light, and there was. Light came into the world. And yet in many ways, the world was still in darkness because of that rift that we talked about. Throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, flashes of light of God's truth, of that which was coming. And then we come to the end of the Old Testament, and there is silence. 400 years of silence. And then one came into the world. He was not the light, but he was pointing to the light that was to come. That was John the Baptist. And then Jesus was born. And he was the one that said, I am the light. And because of him, there was hope for all eternity. And then he went away after he had done his work. He ascended into heaven but sent his precious spirit to dwell within all of us. And he told us this, you are the light of the world. And he cautioned not to put your light under a bushel, but to let the whole world see. And so very carefully, I want you to cover the light and see what a difference it makes here. If you see the ceiling and it gets darker. And then let's show the light. And you see how those lights light up our world. And that's what we are called to do. So as we leave here, as we celebrate Christmas, celebrate the glorious light of Jesus Christ, the hope for the world, the hope for us in our hearts of salvation. And now, children of the living God, will you receive the Lord's benediction. May the peace of Christ, the shalom of Christ, be with you tonight and tomorrow and in the days to come. And God's people said...